Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I hope you're doing well. So this is a review of an article by Emma Tatel called Bless Atheists, for they have sinned. And this was written for Maclean's magazine. And she starts this way. She starts, The door-to-door religious proselytizer is, like his secular cousin, the Cutco knife peddler, a harmless irritant of modern North American life. See, already I think we have a challenge. To say that somebody who comes to your door selling religion is a harmless irritant of modern North American life is to have, I think, effectively zero empathy for the children born into such families who are told truly terrifying stories of hellfire and damnation and masturbation being a sin and God help you if you get a cut because we're not going to allow a deep cut because we're not going to allow you blood transfusions and, and the like. So if somebody rings your doorbell, you say, no thanks, well, uh, that is fine, but uh, that's not really what religion is all about. Religion is uh, something that indoctrinates helpless independent children in some truly crazy and deranged beliefs. And um, there is no secular cousin to that. Like the Cutco knife peddler, he says, here's a knife. You want it, yes or no? Is it efficient? Is it effective? Is it whatever, right? Cost efficient. But he's not saying, if you don't buy my knives, you're going to go to hell. And he's not saying, these knives will cure you of an imaginary disease that I'm going to call sin uh, on the caveat that you pay me, say, 10% of your income for the rest of your life, in which case I will wave my magic wand and cure you of this imaginary illness called sin. Uh, So it's just a knife. There's no metaphysics, epistemology, or anything like that around it, so... So she goes on to write, say, if you don't care for his wares, you say no thanks, shut the door, and sometimes roll your eyes. But you rarely, if ever, engage. Well, you do engage if you care about, say, the quality of uh, their children, uh, their children's lives, and, and so on. Portland University philosophy professor and proud atheist Peter Bogosian not only advocates engaging religious fundamentalists in debate, he has written the manual on how to do so. His new book, Emmanuel for Creating Atheists, could be called the Bible of Deconversion. Except you couldn't call it the Bible of Deconversion because the Bible is not a philosophical document. Uh, It makes philosophical claims, but it does not use philosophy to establish those claims. It's like if I say I make a scientific claim and I read the tea leaves from my cup of tea in order to prove my claim, then I have not made for good science. And the Bible does not use a philosophical methodology, but it is a very philosophical document, which is why it is open to philosophical examination. So fundamentally, people who are religious, they say that their religion is like the shadow cast by the giant statue of God on the horizon. And they simply stand in that shadow. The shadow is objective and real because God is objective and real. And therefore, they're making truth claims about the universe. They're making truth claims about reality. God exists, therefore I believe. That is the way that it works. And so all religions are making truth claims about reality, and therefore they are subject to science, to uh, reality testing, to empirical uh, testing, uh, to, uh, to rationality tests, and so on. If I say I like jazz, I'm not making an empirical claim about reality that my preference for jazz exists like a tree does. It's just my subjective preference. But people don't like religion. They accept the existence of God 
They believe that God exists. Now, the moment you say exists, then philosophers and scientists are deeply concerned with what it is that you're saying because you've just used the word existence. If you say, I don't like rap music, this is not an objective truth that is empirically verifiable or it's just what my preference is, what my subjective experience is. So you can't call something which uh, contains rational and empirical arguments anything to do with the Bible, right? That's like saying that a manual on demolition is a great guide for building things. It's not. Boghossian, she writes, has a mission to rid the world of religion through what he calls street epistemology, the act of literally talking someone out of his or her faith. Yes. And if I was a child and I had faith that two and two made five, then my teacher would talk me out of that error, right? Faith is, as Peter terms it, uh, faith is believing that you know things that you don't know. And that, of course, is uh, arrogant error. Uh, I'm not going to make the case for or against. You can read the book. But uh, you, when you talk someone out of his or her faith, you are talking someone out of believing in things that don't exist, which is, I think, a, a, a quite, a, quite a good thing, right? I mean, if a man is about to walk into a canyon, he's a blind man, he's about to walk into a canyon, and you say, stop and turn around, you are talking someone out of continuing to walk as if there's ground there when there isn't. And that, I think, is actually quite a helpful and, and useful thing. And remember, it is the religious people who make the truth claim about reality, my God exists. Jesus came back from the dead, right? Muhammad rode up to the kingdom of heaven on a winged horse after marrying a nine-year-old. These are truth claims that are made. And whenever you make a truth claim, scientists, philosophers, and thinkers uh, have the perfect right to review those truth claims for efficacy and veracity. So he says, sound familiar, she says. Pagosian has taken one of organized religion's most invasive and possibly problematic practices, proselytization, and turned it on its head. Hmm. This sentence is um, perplexing, I guess you could say. Most invasive and possibly problematic practices, which is bringing the good news of Jesus or whoever to people, um, Proselytization is, is obviously just trying to convert people to your religion, telling them about your religion. Most invasive and possibly problematic practices. I mean, just off the top of my head, I would say that female genital mutilation uh, for the case uh, of religion, which occurs throughout uh, the Arabic world. Male genital mutilation, uh, which is focused on Judaism, but also occurs in many other religions, uh, circumcision, that's pretty invasive and significantly problematic. Um, the call for murder uh, for, for lots of people in the Bible, if the Bible was written by an atheist, uh, the atheist would likely go to jail for hate crimes. Because this is the book that she's comparing Peter's elegant work of reason to. Uh, I'll put the links to this below. So in the Bible... Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge or of the priest who represents the Lord your God must be put to death. Such evil must be purged from Israel. So 
uh, Kill People Who Don't Listen to Priests. Now, I've read that book pretty carefully. I actually supplied a blurb for it. And I'm pretty sure I don't remember Peter anywhere saying that anybody who doesn't listen to the atheist arguments should be murdered. Um, But this, of course, is the work of the Bible. Kill witches. You should not let a sorceress live. Uh, Kill homosexuals. Uh, If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them shall be put to death for their abominable deed. They have forfeited their lives. Uh, I don't believe that in Peter's book there's anything about killing people who are homosexuals. This is a significant bummer for psychic fairs. A man or a woman who acts as a medium or fortune teller shall be put to death by stoning. They have no one but themselves to blame for their death. A philosopher might say that both the Bible and the stoners, not the fun kind, would having that. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Uh, All who curse their father or mother must be put to death. They are guilty of a capital offense. So death for cursing parents. This is the highest moral ideal, and uh, I don't believe that um, he's written any children's books saying that uh, uh, any uh, parent who tries to enforce religion on you should be strangled in their sleep. Death for adultery. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both the man and the woman must be put to death. Uh, Death for fornication. A priest's daughter who loses her honor by committing fornication and thereby dishonors her father also shall be burned to death. Now, often they don't prescribe how you're supposed to be put to death. We've got stoning and burning. Death to followers of other religions. Whoever sacrifices to any god except the Lord alone shall be doomed. Kill non-believers. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. And everyone who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Uh, kill false prophets. Kill the entire town. If only one person person in the town worships another god, kill women who are not virgins on their wedding night. Kill followers of other religions. Death for blasphemy. Uh, infidels and gays should die. Uh, kill anyone who approaches the tabernacle. Kill people for working on the uh, Sabbath. Um, uh, kill children who are rude. Uh, you kill the curious if you're God. Um, murder uh, children. Kill the sons of sinners. It says, make ready to slaughter his sons for the guilt of their fathers, lest, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the breadth of the world with tyrants. Um, God will kill children. Uh, you should kill men, women, and children. God kills all the firstborn of Egypt. Kill old men and young women. God will kill the children of sinners, rape, baby killing, uh, and so on. Um, and this is just murder. I mean, rape, slavery, uh, you name it. It's in the uh, uh, it's in the Bible. So I think that. These commandments, which have been tragically and aptly enacted throughout religion's history, might be considered organized religions perhaps slightly more invasive and possibly problematic uh, practices. Uh, so, so this is from Peter's book. Five percent of the U.S. population does not believe in God, he writes. We have a standing army of more than half a million potential street epistemologists ready to let loose to separate people from their faith to deliver millions of micro-inoculations of reason to the populace on a daily basis. So yes, um, if he were to say uh, we have a standing army of more than half a million anti-racists ready to uh, talk people out of being racist, um, I think that that would be considered a noble practice. And uh, religion is a very dangerous kind of uh, bigotry. 
the Bible is like a kaleidoscope. It is like a, an insect's eye in that whatever you like, you can find approval for and to divine sanction off, right? So if you're a vengeful guy, then you go to an eye for an eye. If you're a gentle guy, then you go to turn the other cheek. You can, of course, find uh, literally thousands of these contradictions in the Bible because it has evolved to be all things to all people. You get to cherry pick and, and choose what it is that you want to find sanction for, which tends to be kind of what you like already, but amped up to infinity through divine sanction and approval. And um, uh, this was pretty evident after the uh, Reformation when the monopoly of Catholicism was cracked throughout uh, Christendom and the Anabaptists, the Zoongalians, the uh, Lutherans, uh, the Calvinists, and so on, they all uh, began slaughtering each other because they had their perceptions of what the Bible said after it was translated by Martin Luther into the vernacular in the 16th century. They read it, and they each, based on their own preferences, decided what was uh, the most important, important and essential thing, and it didn't fit, right? You have holy wars of mass slaughtering around religion, there are people who have different views of string theory, but they are not stringing each other up by the neck. Uh, this is, of course, because there is an objective methodology for resolving disputes uh, in, um, uh, in science. Uh, there is no objective methodology for, receiving, for resolving disputes in religion, and therefore it tends to escalate those who take it the most seriously. So she writes also, a manual for creating atheists is in a way an atheist attempt at Old Testament style, eye for an eye, revenge. I like it. You've got to watch these words with people. So when she says, could be called, it is in a way, what you're basically about to hear after you hear these phrases is very silly non-arguments that reveal significant emotional prejudice uh, because she doesn't have to prove. If you say, in a way... You know, this blue is in a way green. What does that even mean? If say this blue is green, I mean, it's in a way green. Well, it gets, it, it's a way of deflating the necessity for proof. An Old Testament style, style eye for an eye revenge. Now, Old Testament style eye for an eye revenge would be for, uh, for Peter to write some of the same kill religious people that the religious texts have about killing atheists and unbelievers. I mean... Obviously, I'm an atheist myself. I take it quite personally when the Bible says that the followers should kill me. Now, I accept, of course, that Christians and, and uh, Jews and, and uh, Muslims, right, the three that come off the Old Testament, I, I mean, they don't want to kill me, most of them, absolutely. Nonetheless, that's what the book says, and this is who they worship. And so, it, to me, it's kind of like being a black guy and reading the KKK manual. It's... Um, you know, it says kind of put me to death. I think KKK manual is a little bit more gentle. I think it just says get them back to Africa, whatever. But it is pretty serious. And then people can say in religion, well, that is wrong. That is immoral. Um, um, gays and sorcerers and unbelievers and children who curse their parents or, or, you know, the children of sinners, they should not be murdered. Well, okay, great. Then you have joined us on the secular side of challenging moral questions, because you're no longer accepting the Bible as a moral absolute, because it's full of so much palpable evil that you can't accept it as a moral absolute without being, like, without 
it being illegal, because then you are accepting death threats against a significant portion of your fellow man as your highest moral ideal, uh, and that's not actually, I mean, you just become a criminal, right? And so it is, um, it is a challenge. Once you get rid of the moral absolutes of the Bible by actually reading the Bible, just read it cover to cover, it's the best cure. And um, once you have accepted that the Bible is not a moral absolute, then, you know, you're going to join us in the challenging task of defining a secular ethics that are consistent and universal and in accordance with what we teach kids in kindergarten, all that kind of fun stuff. I've taken a shot at this. Uh, you can get my free book, um, Universally Preferable Behavior, A Rational Proof of Secular Ethics, at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. So it's not an atheist attempt at Old Testament style eye for an eye revenge because he's talking about talking uh, two people. He's not talking about killing them for disagreeing, which is, that is the Old Testament stuff. So I can only assume that she's not read anything to do with the Old Testament. Um, yeah, that's really all I can assume. I can't imagine anybody would uh, countenance that. She goes on to write, what better way to chip away at the already dwindling numbers of, the, of most major religions than by recruiting from within? Well, See, atheism is not recruiting anyone or anything. There's no church of atheism. You don't have to pay anyone to be an atheist. You know, there are about 10,000 gods that are worshipped around the world. And everyone who doesn't worship everyone else's god, are they recruited uh, away from those gods? No, they just don't don't believe in them, right? As Dawkins has pointed out, um, you don't believe in 9,999 of those gods atheists just go one god further uh, so uh, it's not con you're not recruiting or or converting uh if you know if i say that the world is shaped like a banana and someone proves and shows to me that it's in fact a sphere am i recruited away from banana planet am i converted or deconverted from banana planet no i'm just my error is corrected and Thank you to everyone who helps me <laughs> correct my errors, Lord knows. As uh, Hamlet says, we are into endless error hurled. Oh, no, that's not Hamlet. That's someone else. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Bogosian's deconversion methods draw on everything from the rhetorical tactics of ancient Greek philosophy to the works of modern atheist all-stars Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, whom he refers to as atheism's horsemen. Through street epistemology, he hopes that the non-believing will transform a broken world into a new society built on reason, evidence, and thought-out positions. Well, that seems, uh, that seems good. See, the whole time I was in school, I was taught in, in science and geography, uh, mathematics of every kind, functions and relations, uh, calculus, algebra, that I really should have reason, evidence, and thought-out positions. I think that's, uh, that's kind of the point. <laughs> I mean, she seems surprised that, that a, a philosopher would be interested in reason, evidence, and thought positions. <laughs> I mean, she seems like, if, I, if I'm a nutritionist and I put out a book on how to eat healthy, she's like, she's shocked that, that the books are just putting down junk food and eating good food. I mean, at worst, Bogosian's approach might appear tongue-in-cheek and harmless, or if you're an atheist, noble and necessary. Well, you see, he's making an argument throughout the book, a variety of arguments. Those arguments are valid or invalid. Now, I agree it does take quite a bit of time to learn how to think, to learn how to analyze arguments, to learn how to rebut 
false positions to learn all of the endless um, logical and philosophical errors and equivocations and fallacies and so on. There's lots of them. And it takes quite a while to actually go through a text and find out what the arguments are and whether they're valid or not. And so if you don't want to do that, I think that's fine. It can be kind of technical, logic trees and all. It can be a little dull. I love it, but, you know, that's, that's why I'm doing this and not writing for Maclean's. But it's not tongue-in-cheek and harmless or noble or necessary. The arguments are either valid or they're invalid. They're true or they're false. I mean, if I put forward a mathematical theorem, I've discovered another proof or, or I've discovered a proof of Fermat's last theorem or something, then people can say, is it tongue-in-cheek? Is it harmless? Is it noble? Or is it necessary? These are all adjectives that have absolutely nothing to do with mathematics. And these adjectives have absolutely nothing to do with philosophy. They do have a lot to do with immature emotional manipulation, or sophistry, as our good friend Socrates would term it and would fight as we continue to fight 2,500 years later. But uh, this is... This is very, very silly. But it points, his approach, points to an unnerving new trend in the world of the non-believing, one that doesn't merely personally reject religion with a no-thanks-I'll-pass attitude, but globally opposes it with the addendum and not for you either if I have anything to say about it. Yes, that's, uh, that's very true. So, for instance, uh, let's replace this with other words and see if we can understand what she's saying. But it points to an unnerving new trend in the world of opposing racism. One that doesn't merely personally reject racism with a no thanks I'll pass attitude, but globally opposes it with the end with the addendum and no racism for you either if I have anything to say about it. Is that offensive to you? Does that, that seem offensive to you? But it points to an unnerving new trend in the world of opposing rape. One that doesn't merely personally reject rape with a no-thanks-I'll-pass attitude, but globally opposes rape with the addendum, and not for you either, if I have anything to say about it. But it points to an unnerving new trend in the world of opposing murder. One that doesn't merely personally reject murder with a no-thanks-I'll-pass attitude, but globally opposes it with the addendum, and not for you either, if I have anything to say about it. Now, I'm not equating religion with murder, but what I am saying is that there are thousands of moral positions that we inflict on uh, everyone. I mean, if you simply look at all the laws and regulations in the world, of which there are millions and millions, these are all universally applied enforced. Uh, the income tax, uh, regulations of any kind, Obamacare, these are all, you don't get a choice, you have to do it. And if this is bad, then we have a whole lot of dismantling to do of our existing legal system. And um, uh, so, but something like racism, which is an irrational prejudice, right? Uh, uh, you don't get to say, well, it's not for me, but you, you go ahead, right? Well, no. The truth claims that people make about reality are either valid or they're invalid. They're true or they're false. They're supported by evidence and validated by reason or not. And so, no, you don't get to have your own reality. You don't get to have your own beliefs if those beliefs are claimed to be universal. 
Again, I like ice cream, not a universal claim. Ice cream is made with milk. That is a universal claim, right? I don't like sunrises, subjective claim. The world is a sphere, objective claim. And so people who are religious are making objective claims on a very consistent basis. God exists. There is heaven. There is hell. There is sin. The way to redemption is X or Y or Z. These, 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 and these are sins. These, 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 and these are virtues. These are universal claims. They are not subjective. And therefore, they're open to objective analysis. Bogosian's militant atheism not only attacks religion's zealous and radical manifestations, but targets its benign and secular ones too. Well, you see again, benign, secular, zealous, radical... I mean, what does this conceivably mean? There are people who believe that two and two make five. You know, and, and Bogosian's militant mathematical purity not only attacks people who believe that two and two make five they're zealous and radical manifestations, but they're benign and secular ones too. I mean, this, again, these are all just adjectives. It doesn't mean anything. When asked what harm a privately religious person could possibly do in the name of his or her savior, he denies that such a person, person exists and insists on characterizing all faiths in the same simplistic fashion as pretending to know something you don't. Now, when you say someone insists, then you make it sound like they have an irrational emotional preference or addiction, that they're kind of crazy and fixated on something. And the word simplistic is not an argument. Um, the fact that I need to say this is, is significant. If I am handed uh, a, a copy of the proofs for the uh, general theory of relativity, and I say, I toss it to one side and say, uh, this is a simplistic argument. All I've confessed is that I don't know how to analyze an argument uh, or a, a theorem in science, a hypothesis. And so I've simply confessed my own incapacity to analyze anything from a rational standpoint. As pretending to know something you don't, right? So you can say that an argument is simplistic, but then you have to say, dare I say it, you have to say why it is <laughs> I mean, it's silly to have to say this. You have to say why it is simplistic. Merely calling an argument simplistic is not an argument. There's a reason that we go to school for years to learn how to think clearly and rationally. And if we could just use the word simplistic to rebut arguments, that's like calling yourself a doctor because you shout the word health at a tumor thinking it's going to get better. Now, there are lots of arguments that Peter makes in the book about why faith is pretending to know something you don't. And she doesn't address any of them. She simply uses the word simplistic. I mean, that's not even simplistic. That's just ridiculous. I mean, it's not even an argument. It's not even wrong. In other words, it's not even a bad argument. So he, she writes on, darker still is his tendency to refer to faith as a virus and an affliction. Yes, well, he makes the case for that as well. You cannot inflict religion on your children without uh, threatening them and bribing them. You, you simply can't. And also, you cannot inflict religion on your children without uh, lying to them about the prevalence of other religious beliefs. So if you say to your children, 
there's uh, no heaven uh, and no hell, uh, and you, you do not intimidate them, and you do not threaten them, and you do not threaten the withdrawal of approval or anything like that, but you simply say, here's a religious belief. There are 10,000 opposing religious beliefs in the world, uh, and I'm not going to promise you any benefit or anything negative to believing or not believing in this religious belief, then um, religion would be gone, you know, about five years. Right, because in the first five years, this indoctrination generally takes hold in the minds of children. So, the fact that you can only trigger the continuation of religion by threatening children with hell and bribing them with heaven and also threatening them with personal disapproval, uh, anger, threats of abandonment, hostility, punishment, spanking, in order to get children to accept religion... Uh, is why it is kind of like a virus. It attacks the weakest among us in society, the most dependent among us in society, and it replicates uh, by damaging uh, the brains of those uh, tender and helpless children uh, when uh, this eye-watering, brain-shredding searchlight of religious darkness is turned uh, into their brains. And it is. uh, Things which are false are uh, an affliction. And uh, a philosopher that's interested in diminishing error and increasing uh, truth claims, uh, the the validity and establishing the validity of truth claims is kind of doing what a philosopher is uh, is supposed to do. So the other thing too, I've made the argument before that the more irrational a belief system is, the more aggression is required to inflict it on children. So if you give your child an empty iPad box at Christmas and they open up the iPad and you want them to thank you, you have to be pretty aggressive, pretty hostile, pretty manipulative, pretty punishing in order to get the child to pretend that there's an iPad there when there isn't because their senses deny that there's an iPad. They really want an iPad. The fact that there isn't breaks their heart, but they then have to cheer. And there's no evidence uh, of any kind for the existence of God. God is entirely logically contradictory, biologically contradictory, uh, empirically uh, invalidated, and so on, right? It's consciousness without matter. A consciousness is an effect of matter like gravity is an effect of mass, and uh, you, God can't be all-powerful and all-knowing because if God is all-powerful, he can do anything he wants in the future. If he's all-knowing, he has to know exactly what he's going to do in the future uh, and everything that's going to happen in the future. You can't have both of these things um, It is the most complex consciousness which has never evolved, and we know from biology and evolution that complexity is the result of evolution. Uh, It's like expecting an eye before a single-celled organism. It's not going to happen. Anyway, this just, you know, there's six million different reasons as to why a god is logically contradictory and empirically uh, non-existent. So there's no iPad. You have to tell the children to cheer that there is an iPad. You can only do that through aggression, which is why fundamentalist religions score much higher in terms of spanking, hitting, child abuse, uh, and so on. Uh, You really do have to harm children to get to to believe in the invisible and cheer the non-existent. So, uh, yes, uh, it is uh, is very harmful and very dangerous to children. Every enlightenment has a dark side, she goes on to write. Modern atheism's may be its creeping idolatry of reason and reality, which in our current political circumstance gives way to Islamophobia and sexism. Well, given how sexist, how sexist Islam is, I'm not sure how you can get Islamophobia and sexism into the same category. 
Now, she goes on to talk about Rebecca Watson, who uh, was uh, proposed. Uh, some, somebody said, come back to my hotel room at four o'clock in the morning. And she found this shocking and appalling. Uh, and, you know, this is uh, charges of sexism ram- rampant back and forth in the atheist community. And I have, I have no doubt whatsoever at all that there are sexist atheists. I have no doubt whatsoever that there are uh, racist atheists and there are atheists who are not kind to their cats and there are atheists who don't uh, vacuum under their couch and there are atheists who don't apply enough deodorant. Uh, There are atheists who do all of these things, which has absolutely nothing to do with the arguments for atheism. The personal habits or personal belief systems of atheists outside of atheism have virtually no bearing whatsoever on the arguments for atheism. I mean, it's, it's literally like saying the guy who told you that two and two make four was a racist and therefore two and two don't make four. It's not relevant. The arguments for atheism are valid or invalid. Uh, pointing at the personal bad habits of atheists... Um, It has nothing to do with anything. You cannot judge an argument by unrelated belief systems, right? That's like saying Hitler wasn't wasn't evil because he was nice to dogs. Uh, It doesn't doesn't make any sense. I mean, I could say uh, Marxism is invalid because Marx had sex with his maid and then threw her out on the street when she got pregnant, and therefore his arguments... Uh, that exploiting the masses uh, is bad are irrelevant because he exploited uh, a worker who was dependent on him. Uh, And, I mean, obviously it wasn't great that he did that, and it certainly means that he has no problem exploiting the workers, but um, it doesn't mean that his arguments are false. However, however, personally distasteful, even his own life was in other areas, that's not an argument against uh, his his arguments. You either find them valid or you find them uh, invalid. And so... The idea that atheism is somehow invalidated because there are some irrational atheists or atheists who are irrational in other areas uh, is like saying that uh, somebody who believes in God can't possibly drive a car. They would just let Jesus take the wheel. It doesn't make any sense. You look at the arguments themselves, finding the worst people who claim to be part of a movement and then saying that you're going to critique the movement when the movement is really based upon a series of arguments rather than critiquing the arguments again. It's just, it's lazy. I mean, this is not what thinkers do. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, there's a difference between challenging an idea and attacking a person. He says religion isn't an immutable characteristic of a person. So he says religion isn't an immutable characteristic of a person. Yeah, because I mean, I get this uh, too. People say like I'm bashing religion and things like that. You know, again, uh, arguments are valid or they're invalid. The word bashing, uh, all it does is tell me that you are emotionally triggered by a particular argument and don't have the skill, capacity, or intelligence to rebut it or examine it, and therefore you're going to just, you know, don't like the painting, fling mud at it, it. look, the painting has kind of gone away. And so... Religion isn't an immutable characteristic of a person. Of course, we we are always trying to talk people out of error. I mean, slavery was a massive moral error. And talking people out of slavery was a pretty good thing. Um, And 
it wasn't like, well, slavery isn't for me, but if you want to do it, go ahead. That's not how the opposition to fundamental moral evils within mankind uh, goes. You, you take a stand for, for truth, for reason, for evidence, and so on. So, he's, uh, Peter says, religion isn't an immutable characteristic of a person. He's right. Technically, it's not. Mm, see, again, you bring in the word technically, and I don't know what that means, other than you're just refusing to admit that you're wrong. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Technically, that's true. Mm, I don't know what the technically... <laughs> I don't know what technically adds to that. It's true or it's not, right? I mean, it, it's, either, it's either true or it's not. Red and yellow make orange. Well, technically, that's true. Technically, what, is, what does that mean? So, um, religion is, sorry, <laughs> I say it again. Religion isn't an immutable characteristic of a person. He's right. Technically, it's not. Unfortunately, though, the Nazis didn't care about technicalities, nor did any other non-religious power that killed on the basis of religion. Okay, well, <laughs> Nazis, um, the Nazis didn't care about technicalities, nor did any other non-religious power that killed on the basis of religion. Oh, so I think she's talking about the Nazis were a state and they killed Jews because they were Jewish. I think, I think that's what she's saying. Religion isn't an immutable characteristic of a person. Technically, it's not. The Nazis didn't care about technicalities. And so the Nazis killed Jews because they considered it an immutable characteristic of a person. What did the Nazis have to do with his argument? That's sort of first and foremost. And you hear this, you know, when you're an atheist, it's, you know, it's the mustache argument. You know, Stalin and Hitler were both atheists and look at all the death that they caused and so on. Well, first of all, Stalin was raised by uh, a vicious, vicious child-beating priest and um, uh, Hitler was certainly raised religious, uh, and he was beaten by his religious father uh, into uh, a coma as a child, uh, probably causing significant uh, brain damage and certainly not allowing him to develop the basic empathy neurons that good parenting uh, bring to you to allow you to function in an empathetic way in the world. But um, what's important, you know, just by the by, since this argument comes up a lot, what's important about the Nazis and the communists was not whether the leaders were atheists or religious, but rather what countries did they take over, right? What, which countries did they take over? Well, um, the Nazis took over in uh, Germany, of course. Uh, the fascists took over in Italy, and the communists took over in Russia. Now, these were by, by far the three most religious countries in Europe at the time. I mean, jamming Russia into Europe for the moment. Um, uh, Russia was, of course, orthodox and uh, was, was incredibly religious. They had uh, not received much of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, the Scientific Revolution, and so on. Uh, Germany was embroiled in 100-plus years of religious war during the time of the greatest changes and uh, uh, rationalizations, uh, approach of rationality uh, in the West. And so uh, Germany was by far the most religious country in Western Europe. Uh, Russia was incredibly religious, and Italy, of course, a seat of Catholicism. And so you often hear, like, religion is somehow a, 
uh, a sort of proof against or, or an inoculation against the tyranny, but it doesn't really explain why the most religious people in Europe fell prey to these kinds of tyrannies. And I would argue, of course, that God is uh, a classical tyrant, in fact, one of the most murderous tyrants in all of uh, literature, as he's portrayed in the Old Testament and to some degree in the New Testament. And, of course, the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Testament was when the Jews were in charge and therefore they could be as tyrannical in that sense. The New Testament was designed to appeal to uh, a slave population and therefore there was a lot of turn the other cheek and, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth and uh, it's easier for uh, a rich man, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just because they had to make people who were slaves feel that they were somehow rewarded for being in the lowest position in, in society. So uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with changing ethics. It's just the, the audience, right? Uh, tyrannical patriarchs in the Judaic tradition versus Roman slaves uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the empire. So, so it, is, uh, it is really important to understand that worshipping a tyrant such as the Old Testament deity uh, primes you significantly for totalitarianism. Uh, and this is how, it's one way to explain why these countries that were so religious uh, became so susceptible uh, to, uh, uh, to tyranny. Now, of course, uh, communism is uh, another form of religion where you replace the state, uh, you replace God with the state. It's fundamentally the same kind of uh, thing. Philosophy fights irrationality. Communism is fundamentally an irrational uh, doctrine, as is fascism, uh, as is Nazism. They are irrational doctrines. And therefore, to say that atheism, which fights, which is one manifestation of the fight against irrationality, is somehow responsible for other irrationalities, is, uh, is, is, is literally like saying that, that uh, uh, trying to get people to eat better is responsible for racism. Uh, it really it doesn't make, <laughs> make any sense at all. So... Uh, it takes it takes context to make that distinction. Whatever distinction she was making, I think about the Nazis. And it's context, not faith, that today's atheist agitators surely lack. For now, I'll take the guy at the door. And um, again, you know, it's not all about Emma and her ability to close the door. There are lots of people who don't really have the ability to close the door. Uh, women uh, in uh, in Islamic uh, theocracies don't really have the option to say, no, thanks, uh, you're just like the knife cutter, uh, the guy selling the knife, sorry. I don't really feel like I'm going to be part of this. I don't really want to wear a book. I'd really like to drive. Uh, I don't want to get stoned to death. I don't want to live under Sharia law. No, thanks. Well, um, they don't have that choice. Uh, children born into fundamentalist religious households uh, do not have the chance to say, uh, oh, no thanks, mom and dad, no, not really for me, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, uh, I think I'm going to go out and play, and I sure as heck don't want to wedge myself into my Sunday best on uh, early on Sunday mornings, I don't want to go to church uh, three times a week, and uh, I don't want to believe in hell, and damn fire, uh, damn fire, damnation, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, this is um, not possible, uh, and the reason that it's not possible is lots of thinkers have uh, worked on the separation of church and state, and are now continuing to work uh, on the uh, separation between religion and philosophy. Now, religion and philosophy uh, are really in the same place uh, because uh, religion is making universal truth claims about reality and uh, philosophy is examining those and finding them, well, let's say wanting <laughs> to a significant degree. So I hope that helps. Um, I just need to find that quote um, because...
it's driving me nuts. I, you know, as a guy with a half an English degree, I really should know this uh, about uh, Alexander Pope. Oh, how sad. I should know that. I knew it was some, some guy, some poet. Um, and uh, so, yes, uh, the glory, jest, and terror of the world in endless era hurled. An essay on man. So this is, uh, let me just, I'm so sorry, this is something I should know off the top of my head, but uh, let me just make sure that I reestablish my <laughs> literary geek credentials to some degree. Um, let me just get you the full quote. A chaos of thought and passion, all confused, still by himself abused or disabused, created half to rise and half to fall, great lord of all things, yet a prey to all, sole judge of truth in endless error hurled, the glory, jest, and riddle of the world. <laughs> <laughs> 